The Gundog Notebook Podcast is presented to you by Onyx Hunt, crafted to be the number one digital mapping resource for hunters, anglers, and landowners. Download the Onyx Hunt app from your phone's app store today and use my promo code GDN20 for 20% off your Onyx subscription. I also want to bring to you Yukonuba Sporting Dog, the premium performance 3020 blend. For the last 50 years, Yukonuba has created premium nutrition that unlocks the power and potential within. From the unstoppable performance of the sporting dogs to the life-saving abilities of working dogs to the incredible companionship of service animals and family pets. Check out Yukonuba Sporting Dog today and go pick up a bag of the 3020 premium performance blend and guys last but not least i want to thank my affiliates lion country supply and garmin fish and hunt go check them out today for the spring training season all right guys welcome back to another episode of the gun dog notebook podcast you know i'm gonna say welcome 15 million different times but i don't know if y'all have noticed it but i have i have felt it because i'm in it this has been a very, very long week for me. All right. It's been a very um, productive week in the sense that I've gotten podcasts recorded. I'm actually ahead of my schedule and um, I have been by now. Y'all have seen um, my outdoor life article um, and my my um, podcast that I did with Travis Frank on the flush. So you know guys my my outdoor life article um the title excuse me it's 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 early in the morning but the title is a tale of jake and bill a hunting dog history you haven't heard before and honestly i you know had just gotten the story and thought it related to a lot of things going on nowadays anyway so check that out and also um my interview with travis frank which was just honestly allowed me to be very 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 vulnerable and open about you know some of the things that i've dealt with thus far in hunting and just in life really um my other big announcement um i think it's a step forward um i have been blessed to be a part of so many different initiatives and actions and things like that but i've also been blessed to be black um, in, in this atmosphere and what that means is being able to do things for the good of humanity you know I, I was talking about doing good work and things like that and I, I believe in doing my part um, in this whole human life thing like I, I think I need to do my part and I hope I'm doing that with this podcast that being said I would like to announce the incorporation of the Minority Outdoor Alliance. Um, and that is a nonprofit that I, along with the help of my wonderful wife, have started in, you know, in response to all of the stuff that's going on and some of the, the things that, you know, I've seen in the hunting industry. And, and, and I, quite frankly, it's just a conversation and we can make it better. Um, but I'm a representative in this space and I believe in taking 
taking the lead on it and being, you know, take being in the front lines, you know. Um, so anyway, I wanted to tell you guys our mission statement. And the mission statement is, I think, something that has aligned with my heart ever since I got into it. But it is to promote diversity, equity and access and outdoor spaces through strategic partnerships, education and exposure, thereby creating inclusive spaces where all can enjoy personal fitness, health, character development, and mentorship in the various outdoor activities. Um, and so I just wanted to cover a gamut of things. Not everybody is going to have bird dogs or not everybody is going, you know, go fishing or whatever like that, but everybody should be outdoors. Um, and I feel like minorities need to feel you know better about the entire experience i also think that i can be a catalyst for change so you know i want to thank a few people um i've got a long list of folks and that will come very very shortly um as we get more developed and things like that but namely the two people that i want to start with because the thanks will continue coming is um, my wife, Ashley Smith, and AJ DeRosa from Project Upland. I mean, they have been, you know, huge power players in this, I guess. Like, they, they've definitely inspired me. So anyway, um, that is the big news that I wanted to give you guys, and, and I'll get into more detail as we move along. Um, reach out to me if you have any questions, in, you know, in between time. But... This episode of the podcast is going to be with two folks, John Rabidou and Peyton Gunby. All right. Um, they are wonderful trainers. And, you know, John made me realize I stuck my foot in my mouth about these short hairs. I mean, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm going to still say what I'm going to say. But no, it was very, very, very good information. And I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, Peyton is a rising 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 star and and if you ain't been following her guys go make sure you do um and and keep track of what she's got going on with her dogs as well so anyway guys this is episode 103 of the gun dog notebook podcast and uh this is peyton gunby and john rabidou all right stay tuned and, and we'll see y'all on the backside. back for me you you just had a, a one of your a black friend that came in and picked up a dog from you tell me about that program you just got into it yes sir well let me tell you a little bit about that guy he's about five foot six and he got his way through college playing football mm -hmm. as a defensive back now you know when you're five foot six a lot of guys can hurt you right so he went to tech uh abilene christian university up in abilene texas uh-huh and he got a degree in teaching and he taught in public schools in San Antonio for 20 years. And, and he was an athletic director and a teacher. His, his, he's a guru in the, in the computer stuff, right. you know, computer sciences. And he used to have programs that he put, developed for, for how to teachers to use in their classroom and things like that. Anyway. Right. So he, uh, he saw the need to do something for these children that were so far behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, experientially and educationally. And so he started this little program that I mentioned to you, which is these kids could get in this 
program, and they'd have the advantage of going on trips and things after the school year if they would maintain a certain grade point average and and play in certain sports. I mean, a certain number of sports. They didn't have to be first team or anything. Right. Participate. And so he just told me a minute ago that his four oldest ones now are getting out of and in this from little kids to big kids. They're they're graduating now. Right. And uh, three of them are going to college, and one of them's going into Marines. Excellent. That is awesome. They're yeah. either black or Hispanic. You know and what? They have bad background. <clears throat> you know what? I was just um, and everybody knows I went on this whole little social media rant thing or whatever like that recently. But like I was talking to some folks about providing solutions. Right. And one thing that I noticed very much so like him here in Atlanta, there are just a lot, a lot of black kids that all, we all came up with pit bulls, right? Like that's just what we had back in the day. That's, that's actually how I got my start into dogs. I mean, I had them growing up, but you know, pit bulls and trying to get them to do little things and obedience and, you know, just the introductory parts of having a dog on a, on a civilized level is what I call it. You know, that's something that we had. And I saw a lot of kids around the hood, like just a lot of kids in my grandparents' neighborhood. Um, you know, I grew up in the suburbs, a lot of black kids there had, we all had them. Right. And I wonder, you know, I've always posed this question to, you know, especially to folks in the black community, like, yo, why don't we take these kids and, and bring them out to the field? You follow me? Like it, these kids are walking around with 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 pits and, and so many me and so many of my other buddies. We were good at training those dogs. Well, there can be a transition to getting these dogs. I mean, these 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 young kids out of trouble. You know what I'm saying? Keeping them in school. You can only, you know, there was something about, you know, my parents and my father um, telling me that I had to keep my grades up to a certain standard or I could not participate in in sports and things like that. I ran track in college on um, for the 400 meter hurdles. And so I, I, I imagine that being able to take them out of these crazy situations and putting a bird dog in their hands, you know what I'm saying? Like he, he 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 does that, and he takes them to all kinds of experiences that they've never had. Yeah, just, just to broaden to broaden their perception mm-hmm. that the world doesn't end at the end of their block. Exactly, exactly. And, and uh, I mean, he takes them to Alaska, to New York, to places, a lot of places all over, out west. You know, big parks. You know, and things like that. Mm-hmm. He'll take eight or ten up at the end of the ones that have. Fulfilled the requirements that I, I I mentioned earlier. Right. The reward at the end of the thing is to go on this trip. And the way and the way he gets the money to do this is he also is a, a bird dog guide. Yeah. He has bird dogs. He yeah. guides weekends. You know. And a lot of these people he guides for are, are are folks that have plenty of money. Right. I know most of them. And so they help him put together money to go ahead and you know. These these trips and, cost money. Yeah, and take it take these kids to places, and he does it. It's not just at the end of the school year, but that's the big brouhaha. The ones that have gone through the year and they fulfilled the requirements, that's a reward. Well, some of them are pretty little kids, and some of them are large, big kids. Older. 
Well, at the end of all of this, is it possible that you can connect me with him? Um, and I'll and I'll tell you why. So not a problem. All right. So this is this is my thing. I am in the process of getting the paperwork back for a nonprofit. Now, this is actually the first announcement I've made about it because of all of this foolishness going on um, in the world. We all know about it. Right. The, the, the whole protest, all of that stuff going on. Right. I yes, decided it would be important to actually do something about it. Right. And, and, and what we're missing is black representation. What we're missing in this whole bird dog thing is black representation. That's, that's a, that's a, that's, that's one of the things that has been the point of contention. So my thing, I'm, I'm starting a, a nonprofit called the minority outdoor Alliance. And what I want to do is connect some of these larger businesses you know, the, the, in the, in the hunting and fishing and outdoors industry and pair them up with us minorities. You see what I'm saying? It ain't even got to just be black. You know, it, it's, it's all of us that aren't seen in this should be seen, want to be seen. Everybody wants to see us, but we don't have any, any, any points of contact. You see what I'm saying? Or the points of contact there's are very, so scattered. Very, historically bird dogs, was the deep south. That's where it started. Yep. And so it's as white as, uh, I don't know, the sheets mm-hmm. or something, right? Mm-hmm. And there's very few people that have got in it of my of minority backgrounds. Uh, there is a little encouraging. There's two or three Hispanic people now that are around and the short hair world's what I'm familiar with. Right. And there's actually two black guys that come around and do pretty well. One is from Georgia. Mm-hmm. And I cannot tell you his name. I've got it. The other one's from Oklahoma. Okay. And they're, they're, these are guys that obviously have some education. Yep. And so they got some jobs that they could afford to do this. Right. And the guy in Oklahoma, particularly, he's got some pretty damn good dogs. I well, mean, he's Clyde Coulter, Clyde Coulter, his name is. And he's, okay. he's, he's on the, he's on the up and up. I can tell you right now, you give him about, if he sticks with it three, four years. Yeah. He'll be, and well, he has daughters that are into it as well. Well, I'm right. on. I'm gonna go and 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 scout him out. You know, I got two little kids of my own. I got one in the oven. I got a son in the oven, and my daughter's nine months old. So, you know, I I hope and pray that one of them take it up. But I mean, you said it. You hit the nail on the head. Um, a good job in education, right? Like we, it, let's just be real. That's that's what's needed. It takes money to do these these kinds of things, um, and. You know, and and that's been a point of contention. So all of that being said, I am excited that you know him and I would love to connect with him after this. I mean, I wouldn't even expect in this podcast to go that way, but like I'm here for it. Well, it's, just, it's just uh the reality of the world we live in. And these two guys, I wish I could remember the other guy's name. I know he's a client of Dave Walker's. I'll find his name out. He's, a, he's, he's, okay. he's from Roswell. His, his kids go to Roswell High School. He's, he's and nice oh, guy. he's right around the corner. Uh, Right around he, the corner. He, He's big in the short hair. He was a wrestler at one point. I mean, he wrestled in college. Really? Okay? And he looks that way. I mean, he, you know, this is no boy to be messing around He's with. He's a lawyer, know? though. And, uh, <laughs> but, but I think he a lawyer. Yeah. I mean, he can talk, too, you know? He can speak English. But anyway. Okay. But the guy that I just mentioned, the local guy that I told you, his name is Leon McNeil. Leon McNeil. McNeil. Okay. And he, and he lives right down the road from me here. But and I've known him probably for uh, twenty five years. Okay, maybe more. I don't know. Okay, I'll tell you the other 
the other little facet of his, which is a pretty neat story. Uh huh. He's, he's married to a Hispanic woman that's also a teacher. Really? They had one child. Had one child okay. And this boy is now a freshman in college in uh, on a full ride scholarship, and uh, he he's an outstanding athlete. He outruns the other kids. He's quicker and faster, and he did everything. That's awesome. And he has he's a straight A student. Good. He's a straight. Good. That's what's up. That is what we need. You know, um, yeah. I'm here for it, man. And especially well, let, me, let me finish this. Let me finish this conversation about Leon because he just told me this. Yeah. We were talking about, and he said this protest stuff is all right, but here's really the problem: what they don't talk about. Mm-hmm. Hundreds and hundreds of kids in the alleys and streets of this country that are murdering each other Mm -hmm. all the time, every day, over drugs and all the rest. He said, that's where the problem is. That's the basis of the problem. Mm -hmm. That's where it starts. The kids, the kids, of course, he's a teacher. So why wouldn't he think that way? Well, and I I taught full, I know exactly what he's talking about. I taught public school myself. Yeah. Um. well, anyway, okay. And I, I, well, everything happens for a reason. And what are the odds that this man came tonight to pick up his dog? And this is happening. There was no, no reason that this happened at the Absolutely. same time. Other- Absolutely. Well, and I, I, I totally agree with that. Um, you know, like I said, I, I could tell you stories and, and obviously we can, we going to be, Talking for a good little while, you know, I, I try not to, to have you an hour of your time, hour and a half of your time, however long it takes and and not call myself a friend afterwards. So we've okay, got more well, conversations. Um, yes, n- now, this is this is my other point of contention. And I'm not going to even get on you because you're a short hair guy. OK, <laughs> I'm not going to get on you because of that. What I want to get on you for is you don't like solo cups. Oh, yeah, we're back to solo. <laughs> oh, yeah. well, well, let me tell you a little story here. Le- the dog that Leon just picked up, his name is Solo. <laughs> okay? Why is her name Solo? Because she was a single puppy litter. Oh, wow. Now, now let me tell you about single let, single puppy litter. Uh-huh. They, they are seldom successful. And really? there is a whole pool of thought, and I believe, I happen to think is correct, that lots of what puppies learn, even before their eyes are open, is jostling with the other puppies and manipulating yep. to try to get uh, nurse the mother and all that little competitive stuff. And it continues on when they're in the litter and, and you know playing with each other, rough owls and knocking the other one down, getting back up and all, I don't know, all that interaction, which is a learning experience for these puppies. Right. I probably raised four or five single puppy litters, and I have not. I have failed ever to have one of those puppies turn out to be a good dog. Really? There's something. There's something deficient. Yeah. And and and, and so we, and and I also will tell you, and a lot of people will tell you that I'm full of you know what, <laughs> but this little notion that they got to be weaned at seven weeks. There's uh-huh. something magic about forty nine days. Uh huh. I would think they're absolutely wrong. Okay, because I'm and, I, 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 I I was a, a, a beholder to that, but yeah, go ahead, tell me why. I think it needs to go on that way longer. That those interaction with those 
those, those litter mates. Mm-hmm. And normally, even if the rest of them are gone, we keep, if we're going to keep one, we keep two. Okay. And right now we've got three pairs of dogs that are, that are litter mates. Okay. And, and they interact with each other and they know they don't live together all the time. Well, two of them are the youngest ones, but the other, but they like turn them loose together and they jostle each other and race and play and all that behavioral interaction mm-hmm. where they're learning how to be a dog. Right. The dogs we get here, a lot of them that have been pulled off a litter at seven weeks old and raised in a suburb somewhere in a backyard with no interaction with other dogs on a regular basis mm-hmm. are strange Jose's. <laughs> and we've got a two, two or three of them here right now. Yeah. One of them will, one of them is a wire here and will attack another dog without pro- provocation. Really? Just out of the blue. Yep. And I got another one that tries to have sex with puppies that come around him and what? he's a mature dog. What? Yeah, absolutely. And just as so. A and he, he was raised in a backyard and they meant well and uh-huh. they loved the dog and all that stuff. But no learning how to be a dog in the dog's world. Uh-huh. And so all of that and, stuff. Yeah. Okay. I didn't, I, I mean, no, that's, that's a good point. And I'm glad you said that. So I've always been, you know, taught to think that you get puppies at seven weeks, 40, like 49 days to the dot. Right. 49. And, and, and I got my pointer pup at 49 days. I mean, and it was, there's a whole book about it. Yeah. There's a whole book about that, you know? Right. But, and I am, all right, so the and and I'll give you the the reason why I'm 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 open to thinking outside of that. All right, so I'm working on getting a setter pup from a buddy of mine, Paul Cook, uh, next year. And I asked him, I said, "Well, Paul, um, you know, I want to get this dog from you, but is it possible that I can get the dog at seven weeks?" And he was like, "Honestly, man, you do what you want to, but." I'm asking if I can keep the dog a little bit longer. He's like, you're going to still get to right. Yeah. I think, I think he's right. And, and I'm, and I trust it. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call him a friend if I didn't trust his judgment. Right now. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So let's <laughs> let, no, seriously. I love like, yeah. But I mean, is it, a, all right. So Peyton, is it, is it a maturity thing you think? And, and I've heard they mature later. You know, the person to really ask, John also, as well as the short hairs, he's had national champion Gordon Setters. Okay. So um, he, he could tell you better than I could. Let's let's talk they, about that. Well, they do mature more slowly, a lot of them, uh, most of them. Okay. But that, you just got to wait on them. You just got to wait on them. Right. And, uh, and don't, if he, if he shows you the kind of he or she progress mm-hmm. that gives you encouragement, stay with him. Okay. You know, if they don't, I don't mean that flash, you know, that, what, you know, nine month wonder or two year wonder or whatever, but mm-hmm. they're, they're slower maturing. Right. And all the more reason, in my judgment, to keep them together with their litter mates, or at least some of them, for longer than seven weeks. Okay. To go back to the point. Okay. Maybe 10 weeks. What's maybe 10 weeks? And it's long, now, that, now, here's the disclaimer to that. There's a disclaimer, like, of all this stuff. As long as that person that's got that, those pups there he's interacting with them daily yeah so they, they get both the human interaction as well as the litter mate interaction right 
Okay. And she can tell you uh, the effort we do here, make, make here with our puppies, make sure they get as much human interaction as we can possibly afford I mean, as far as time. And so they learned the, when they see people coming, they, they don't go like, shrink off and they're afraid. I right. want them to run up and want to jump on me. Right. Because they, they and, and I'll tell you where it starts. And this is really, you, now, now I'm going to see you really blink. Okay. We, a lot of our puppies, we nurse in a bottle, even when the, when the, the bitch has enough milk. You say, well, why in the hell would you do that? We do use goat's milk, okay? Okay. Goat's milk, the lactose in goat's milk is more assimilable by dogs, okay? Okay. Don't give them dairy. They don't give them dairy products. Why is that? So before his eyes are open, before his ears are open, or any of those senses are kicked in, human touch means what? It means everything. Um, it, it, it's socialization. Something positive. Right. Something positive. I, I'm going to get something I like. Right. Feed. Touch of the human hand means something warm and fulfilling, okay. and it's hunger. Okay. Okay. Even, so it, it Peyton's got a litter over there right now of pointers that she's doing this with, and uh, partly the the bitch isn't lactating real well, and part of it just for this very reason. Okay. And uh, it, it, it it you'd be amazed at how when they do open their eyes and they see you and they do hear you for the first time, you know they think. Oh yeah, I remember all this. This was great, you know. Yeah. There's no fear or minimum fear and concern. And the other thing we do is in our little whelping room. We have a whelping room in this house. It, before their ears are open, we have music playing softly in the background. Okay. All day, all night, all day and all night. Okay. So sometimes talk talk about the benefits of that. Sometimes it'll be opera. Sometimes it'll be opera. Sometimes it might be country. Sometimes it might be rock and roll. Okay. Sometimes it might be the blues or whatever. It's, the point is that you're a cut. You're you're teaching him that it sound it is pleasant and soothing and not fearful. Okay. Okay. It, because there's a whole variety of sounds. And so that it, plays further into gun breaking and 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 things like that. All right, I'm following you. All right, all right. And that's a whole sure. lot better than going up to a puppy and banging a bunch of pans around it when it eat, when it's eaten. Oh, <laughs> like some people here, say that they do. <laughs> here's what here's what I hear. This makes this right here makes me a lot, lot of money. Phone rings, a guy, Mister Rabidou. Yes, sir. Uh, I want to talk to you about my dog. I think I have a problem. Yes, sir. What's that? Well, I took him to the gun range yesterday to see if he was gun shot. Oh, and God. I let him out there, and guess what? He got scared, and he ran underneath the truck or Indian truck or whatever. Of course they take did. him to the San Antonio. There's a huge gun range in San Antonio. I mean, a huge one, world class. <laughs> there might be 100 stations in a row, right? And half of them are active. And all these shotguns are going off. And what happens to the dog? He gets flooded with the stimuli, and he has no. there's no context. And so he runs back to the truck. <laughs> We've got two gun-shy dogs here right now. We're working to solve their problem, you know? Right. And it's a lot of birds, a lot of prey drive, and a lot of patience. God. I I, I never understood that, um, why folks thought that would be a good idea. Um, like, and, and I just... I, I, I'm just going off of my wife's reaction to the gun range, right? Like, when I was teaching her how to shoot, she walks in and is like, good Lord. <laughs> 
<laughs> this is kind of loud, you know. I'll give you an analogy. Yeah. When, when, when your kids get about eight years old, put them in a rowboat, go out in the middle of the pond, throw them in, and row back to shore and see if they can make it to shore. <laughs> right? That's what you're doing with the guns, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I guess my kid, he, he couldn't swim, but I guess he didn't make it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> implies, what this implies is when you say, I found out my dog is gun shy today. That implicit in that is he was born gunshot. You understand? Yeah. He was born with a fear of a sound. Yeah. He's born with a fear of a sound. You know? <laughs> he's not. He's, he's made shy. He's you made shy. Yeah. Made shy, right? He made scared. I mean, he, they, it's a fearful thing. He's, he's afraid because it overwhelms him. Yeah. But And, and that's always been a man-made thing. Um that is probably out of out of the many things that I, I I like to be careful about with dogs, even more so than bird exposure, is gunfire. Like I, that's probably the the one thing that I will wait on. You know, um, there's a guy that that, that reached out to me recently, and I and he just gotten a pointer. Um, it's a nice looking dog, but. Apparently, it come from some trainer that didn't treat the dog right. So what it ended up happening was it killed the dog's spirit. Well, he asked me, he was like, well, I want to, you know, you know, when should I start um, shooting guns around the dog? I'm like, you just got him. And the dog's older, mind you. The dog is older. But I, I'm, I'm, my thing is you have you, you have to build the relationship with that dog. Before you can even ask, I don't care how old that dog is. If you got a scared dog and you go blasting guns around it and all kinds of stuff like that, after you put gas on the fire, you just put in, exactly, you know, it, it doesn't matter how old the dog is. You, you need to sit down there and, and watch it. So now I guess, you know, Peyton, this goes into what we were talking about earlier. I think it'd be a great time to to interject this. I know we got questions and stuff um, or we kind of got a theme, but I do want to talk about a, uh, or elaborate on the idea of reading a dog. Right. Because I think the overarching thing is folks ain't reading their dogs. And I'm talking about from a puppy up. So so give me, you know, both of y'all's thoughts on, you know, what reading a dog is to you and Peyton, I want to start with you because I want to bring you into the conversation too. <laughs> oh, I was hoping John was going to go first. I want ladies first, <laughs> ladies first. <laughs> Listen, I could tell he was chomping at the bit. So <laughs> John, well, I, I know fun. you're here though, buddy. I, I know you're here, but I got to get my ladies in too. <laughs> oh, no, no, it's fine. Oh. As far as reading a dog, you know, uh, a lot of people, and this is something that I've, somewhat learned from John they everybody loves their dog Mm -hmm. everybody loves them they love dogs but what does that mean right (laughs) they they might love them and everything but but if they see something that that uh that scares the dog or, or or this or that which really they just don't know they don't know um uh what can be scary to a dog, what can be unrelatable to a dog. Mm -hmm. Um, They're just in their own human world. One of the things he always says is 
quit thinking like an acting human <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and think like a dog, yeah. you know, whether it's uh, where is the wind coming from? Uh, is the dog scenting at all? Is he just running past the birds? Is he, uh, you know, what kind of dog are we looking at? And with John, I've gotten to do a lot of obedience work with different breeds mm-hmm. um, and, and dogs that come from different backgrounds where, People have had them that kind of know what they might be doing and, and have gotten a dog that's well-bred, um, uh, like maybe a puppy that's come back that he's bred, or they've gotten, you know, some backyard bred uh, a dog of whatever breed right. uh, that comes here. And, and they, they want the dog they love to be trained to do a partnership with them, uh, whether it's hunting or whatever, they're a hunting breed. Um, and, uh, and getting to work with all these different dogs that have different backgrounds, you start getting to feel that read. And right. a lot of people are, uh, are, are just so used to human things and not working with an actual dog. Mm-hmm. That is a challenge that, um, they've ever really, uh, explored. So, I mean, they, it, it's hard to say how, how to read a dog if you haven't spent, your your time and your doing your homework right. of uh, what what you are looking for in the type of dog that you're trying to read. Right. And some people are more natural at it than others. I mean, that's just that's just granted. You know, some people are natural at it than others. I, I grew up with a hunting background, so I was able to kind of read some of the bird dogs a little differently than than my coworker Krista, who's just started with John. She, she's worked in animal control. She's worked with animals tons prior, but, and hog dogs, but, but as far as a bird dog, she's not able to read certain signs of sinning or, or, or they're just outrunning their nose mm-hmm. and this or that. And that's one thing that I'm always having to tell John, you know, she is somebody that is coming from a blank slate. This is completely harder for her to learn than it was even for me. Right. And, and John's biggest deal is really, uh, communicating with humans. He's very good with horses and dogs, <laughs> but trying to, he, he wants you to do the, the best that you can with, with the animals. And, and when he sees an animal doing wrong, he's really just upset with how the animal should be. And, and it's, it's capabilities that he takes, he sounds a little bit more aggressive and people are kind of like, wait, what? Yeah. But, but if you sit there and, and you watch it from an outside perspective and you've seen that multiple times as I have, you really start to understand it and it really starts to help you read dogs more uh, as you watch people who, who don't read dogs mm-hmm. um, mess up with their dogs. And, and then that's what you're given to work with. Right. Right. Okay. I like that. I like that. So John piggy, piggyback on that, man. Well, the way I look at all this stuff is, and these people here have heard this numerous times, is uh, and she alluded to it. If you want to get something done with a horse, you need to start to learn to think like a horse. Mm-hmm. With a dog, you need to think like a dog. Now, you're never going to really think like a dog or really think like a horse or a cow or anything else. Right. But the more you can empathize or really start to understand why this animal is reacting to whatever's going on, from their perspective, from their perspective, right? He's always going to be a dog. He's never going to think like a person. Never, ever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The only thing we can really hope for is 
that humans can start to think a little more like him, him the dog, and tailor their training scenarios in a manner that the dog can understand. Absolutely. And that's one thing, uh, one of the first times I remember John having me work my dog in front of him, uh, and she's a pointer, an English pointer. Um, I had zero control of this dog. I mean, she, she was out running her nose. I didn't really know how to set her up for success. I was hiding birds like we were hunting right. instead of setting her up for success in little smaller baby steps. Like when we go to kindergarten, uh, you know, there's, there's just gradual steps to have set her up for that just seemed so easy to me as a human, uh, that, that I was trying to just go past versus letting her succeed at every little step. Right. So let me, let me, you bring up a good point, um, as far as, and I like that, you know, and I'm, I'm going to incorporate that into my own practices, my next puppy, but I will, I think about a mama dog, right? Let's say, so you've got back, let's go back in old, old school where you got dogs raised on a farm, bird dogs raised on the farm and they more or less, we got plenty of quail out, right? And, and mama dog knows where the birds are. They, she has a litter. She lets those puppies run around and she's following them. She's teaching them how to hunt. Okay. Is there a difference in what you're saying? So that mom is, is taking these puppies out and is she teaching that dog in kindergarten steps, you see what I'm saying? Or is she taking them out to a, a what would already be a challenging hunting experience, going ahead and, and, and locating those birds and having those puppies come in? Because that's not well, kindergarten to me. That's not, no. that's not it. But, it. but it's not the same either. Okay. It, it, and if you know the, the, the pointer world way, way <laughs> back, way back, way back before – long even before me, most of those people in the South that had a lot of, they would farm those puppies out to people, often black people, by the way. Right. Yeah. And, it's a pup, <laughs> and, it, and they would say, take this pup and you turn him loose, you feed him every day and pet him every chance you get. And I don't want you to tie him up. Right. And they were way out in the boonies somewhere where there were birds. That dog learned a lot self-taught, right. learned to hunt. And, and, and by the end of it, a year or six months, whatever the deal was, they'd come get the dog and they'd start their program with the dog. So a lot of what the, what the real message there is, a lot of that was self-talk. Mm-hmm. And I tell these girls all the time, we need to set up situations that bring out a scenario where the dog is learning without force, meaning it's self-taught. Right. The more you can do that, the more you can self-teach, allow the dog, allow the circumstances. I tell these kids here, I want the bird to draw out the point in the dog. There you go. Bird. Yeah. Okay. So mama dog's out there with his babies and they start to realize if they get too close, what happens? Those damn birds are gone. Gone. Yep. Gone. So I better be cautious. I better turn my nose on real quick and slow down and start, start to learn to rate these birds. You know what I mean by rate? Meaning how close you can get before they go. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, that's a roping term. You know, you rate the cat. But anyway. Yeah. But forget it. Anyway, the point is, these, we, 
we our pups are loose here a lot, yeah, a lot, and we have birds running around all over this place because we turn birds loose every single day almost, so these six days a week, yeah, yeah. Sunday we you don't, know, but anyway, <laughs> okay. so these pups got an opportunity if they got any any drive in them and reward right, uh-huh. they want the reward of it. They'll get out and, and they don't have a great big place, but they can get out in the brush and the woods and just that, places where these birds go hide, right? Mm-hmm. And they can get rewarded. And, and you know, I hear, I just all the time people see this. Aren't you afraid these puppies are going to run off and get lost? Aren't you afraid mm-hmm. you're going to get run over by a horse or a car or something? Well, I've lived here 40 years. It hasn't happened yet. There you go. It could happen. Could it happen? Yes, it could happen. Yes, yeah, it could. It, yeah, a lot of things could happen. I mean, that living on a could is is not the way to go. Uh, so my point is, these these a lot of what's going on with these young dogs is self taught. Yeah. But you I to, think you should elaborate on um, uh, development versus training. Yeah. And well, why this place is called what it's called? I, th- you know, I think it, so. It, yeah. Go ahead. You are, the sign out by the. The street, not street road, says Utabar Development Center. Then on the sides, canine and equine. Okay. Well, why doesn't it say training? That's that's what really probably should say in most people's jargon, right? Right. Well, because <laughs> I don't want to get way off here in no. La La Land. Uh-uh. But Go, what do I'm your thing. Yeah. About out is well our approach to these dogs particularly the dogs that we raise and bring along because we have more time with them it's more difficult when somebody brings your dog and you got 30 days or 60 days with them you, know, you don't have time to develop the dog you got to start to train the dog mm-hmm. pretty fast but our pups and our young dogs spend a lot of time just learning the world with right. each other and with finding birds and chasing birds and what to be afraid of, and what what to avoid. Like we have some cats in the barn. Mm-hmm. These cats are absolutely not afraid of dogs, right? Mm-hmm. And if it's one of these pups who thinks he's going to chase a cat, he is going to have a very uncomfortable <laughs> circumstance. I yeah. can tell you. Yeah. These cats, they, they don't back down. Right. And, 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 you know, they're just, they'll just scratch them or whatever appropriate. And, and so all these little things that go on that, that, that what I call city dogs, meaning dogs, that are in a backyard somewhere or in a kennel somewhere don't get that opportunity. Mm-hmm. That they're, they're behind the curve developmentally. Yeah, that makes sense, Steve. No, that makes that makes perfect sense. And I and and I I, I will say and I and I, I'd love to know what you think about this. I I tell you how I do it because I I live in you know thirty minutes outside of Atlanta, right, Peyton? You know what Douglasville looks like. I mean. Is, is probably the last stand as far as any kind of decent land or whatever out this way. Absolutely. But so what I like to do is actually take, um, I'll get quail and I'm fortunate enough to have woods in my back about three, two, 300 yards worth of woods out back. And it's just untouched. And the cover is pretty good there. Um, pines, stuff like that, but the cover is pretty good. So I'll get quail and for about two weeks, I'll spend putting a, a male bobwhite up in a tree. I'm sure you've heard of this before. Put them up in a tree, release a few other birds, put the food at the base of the tree, and let them kind of start acting kind of funky. And what I did with my pup, my uh, my pointer, when he was a pup, I would do that, and I would let, I would just walk through the woods, and just let him walk, right? 
and and he would run into birds just you know as best I could because again I got a city dog right like I and yep. and and I and I have to accommodate for the development you know, I think everything that you're saying is, is absolutely right. And so eventually that pup will start pointing. And of course, he's going to knock him and he's going to chase. And I think that's where people get caught up is not letting the dog knock and chase. He's got to, like you said, he, he's got to rape that bird. It all comes back down to it. Now, I'm, a, I'm big on wing on it, you know, bird on a string, stuff like that, too. But I just like walking through when I when I first put my dog on 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 wild birds, his first the first day, matter of fact, down in Thomasville, Georgia. You know, I got public land spots down there and I know where plenty of birds are. I just let the dog run and he knocked a covey about 15 something bird. I mean, it was huge. Just and they darted off and 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 you saw the look in his eyes. Right. It, it, it's like the light bulb just clicked. And he had to learn. I can't just run in there like a wild man. And the next point got progressively better. The Next point got progressively better. But. Like you said, I, I like that you were able now, wait to. Wait a minute. Let me ask, let me let me ask you a question. Yeah. Did you did you teach him that, I or did the bird? I, the birds taught him that. <laughs> I, rest, I rest my case. There, there is nothing that I could teach. You know, the, the, I think the verbiage is often messed up in this. You don't teach a dog to point. You do not well, teach a can. dog. There is such yeah. a thing. But yes. if you got a dog, you got to teach the point. You don't want. You to. might want to give him to your best worst friend. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. So speaking of giving anything to your best friend, all right, not your worst friend. You can even give your worst friend this stuff too. But what we can do is give the gift of on X hunt. All right, you can give yourself. You can give your buddies, your friends, all of that stuff. But most importantly. Give my promo code GDN20 to get 20% off your Onyx subscription. What you can also do is give the gift of Yukonuba Sporting Dog to your best friend. By your best friend, I mean your bird dogs. So go check out the Yukonuba Premium Performance Formula. The 3020 is what I use and recommend to most folks. Go and check them out at yukonubasportingdog.com. I, I love it. I love it. Well, all right. So let's 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 get down to some more of the bare bones of it. Now, I have a knack for and all of my buddies and listeners on the podcast will get on me because they're like, Darrell, you you always give us short hair folks a hard time. I'm known for it, but I've apparently put my foot in my mouth because I'm on the phone with a Hall of Fame pointer champ. <laughs> now, <laughs> Where I'm from is Georgia. You, yeah. And and short hairs to me prior, I, I was always a pointer setter girl. Mm -hmm. um, I, all I had seen of them weren't in trials, just were some backyard bred hunting dog, you know, redneck dog, really, mm -hmm. uh, that that had a tail that was two or three about, inches about, long. About, about an inch and a half, right? <laughs> yeah, very short. Yeah. And then... Then I, I got to a point uh, where I had needed to find a pro to get with. And I, I found John through Facebook, actually, through a girl that, that uh, was into dogs. And, and he, he was looking for summer help. And I was ready to go up for summer help. And, yeah. and, uh, and I went up to him. 
going as a pointer person, I had an ex-boyfriend and a pointer pro that I messed with. And, and, um, and, you know, I, I knew hunting dogs prior to that, but I really was trying to learn trials, mm-hmm. horses and dogs. I, 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 you know, so I wasn't opposed to, to any breed of where I was going. Right. And John, you know, he had a lot of accreditation. So I went to John and, um, not knowing anything of what I was getting into. He was in Nebraska, uh-huh. 20 hours from Georgia. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I get up there, never met him. I actually had a phone interview with his wife. So I had never even spoke to him on the phone um, until I had actually met him in person. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> and when I met him in person, you know, he, I mean, I, I had no idea what I was getting into, but I, I'm so thankful that I did it and yeah. that I pushed through. Yeah. Uh, so, so my idea of short hairs, I had no, I like, I mean, I, I just, I didn't think that they could run like pointers. And honestly, I had, you know, nose up to them. Right. Um, just because that's kind of what you're taught. Mm-hmm. If you're a pointer person in the South, just inadvertently. Not I'm even, not even Exactly. We yeah. all are. But <laughs> I will tell you this much. Um, working for a short hair pro has given me a lot of appreciation for, for many different breeds. And like I said, I'm a stutter person. I've had English stutters, but, um, uh, as far as just a pointing breed in general, I had never seen until I was with John, a real trial short hair and mm-hmm. their tails are a lot longer, um, you know, uh, uh, than a hunting backyard bred dog. Uh, and, and they, they actually ran. That was one of the first things I remember watching their stride and how they stretched out and thought, this is nothing like that what I thought of in Georgia. You know, they're running like these pointers. And, right. and I could appreciate uh, one thing that I really appreciated through John. Uh, pointer people don't really, they do yard work, but they don't do obedience work. Mm-hmm. Um, so everybody you see when you go to a trial, they're carrying their dog by their collar and they're, they're on their back two legs, blah, 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 you know, going from chain gang to trailer, whatever the case may be Right. Uh, with John. And that's how my, my dogs are. My father's dog, yeah. except for the one that I met with John with, um, they all, they all act like the typical pointer as far as that goes. And all I could think is why, why do we do that? Right. I mean, it, it, it just is a strain on us. And when you have the dog, you get such a different bond and respect by giving them the, that obedience absolutely and, and and they're more confident in themselves because of what you give them with the structure of completely definitive lines of black and white yes and no uh what's good and bad right. and and i'm going to use one of his favorite uh people to quote ray hunt okay make the right thing easy and the wrong thing hard there you go okay so go Go into that a little bit more. I'll, I'll let John pick up from here. All right. Well, you 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 gotta <laughs> you gotta you gotta go back to, to see. I've I've played with horses a long time, and uh, there was a guy by the name of Ray Hunt that mm-hmm. was the first person. He's dead now, but he was the first person that took the more humane horse centered approach to breaking and training horses. Okay. It came from two guys in California called the Dorrance brothers that, that they, they weren't public people and they would never go out public. Well, Ray Hunt did and he took it to the public by way of seminars and stuff. Okay. And I'll give you, 
I'll give you a funny anecdote. I'm going to, this is going to be a test for you. All right. So a friend of mine was at a Ray Hunt seminar. They're in a big arena and he's got all these students riding circles around the arena, you know? Okay. And as they went by him, he would look at them and see what they're doing. And he would tell them something to improve their horsemanship. So this one lady kept going around every time he'd go around, he'd say to her, ma'am, pick up his feet, get to his feet. Round she'd go, get to his feet, round she'd go, mm-hmm. get to his feet. And after about 30 minutes of this, the horse is getting, the woman, she's all frustrated. She stops her horse and jumps off and picks up his foot. <laughs> now, okay. What do you what do you think he wanted her to do? Uh, I know it wasn't getting off. I would I would have thought <laughs> I I know I would have thought for the horse like getting his his feet up his gait up like getting his well, gait let's, yeah. Let's just let's just think about it because it also applies to dogs. Okay. You you you're on a horse right you're right and. Everything you want that horse to do ends with something with his feet. He stops, stands still. He moves forward. He moves backwards. He moves laterally Mm -hmm. or whatever. It has to do with his feet, doesn't it? Right. But you've got to be able to communicate from your brain to your hands, the reins, your legs, the signal givers, to his brain, to his feet. Huh. The process, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a process. Get to his feet. His feet are what controls how well he's doing in whatever whatever you're asking him to do. Right. Okay. You're not asking him to whinny or fart in the dark. You're asking him to do something with his feet. Right. All the time. It's no really not much different than a dog. Is it? It's really yeah. not. I mean, just. Yes. So what we're trying to get to is communication. Go ahead. Stop and stand still. Don't move your feet. Right. Or cast or go over here or come to you. What has to do with getting to his feet? I'm going to take that from you. Get to I'm taking that from you, uh, by the way. By the way. All right. That's Get to his feet. Are Um, you left-handed? Yes. Well, I'm left-handed, dominant, ambidextrous uh, all the way. Oh boy! Okay. <laughs> uh, and I'm I'm an artist and all of that stuff, and I'm thinking my daughter might have inherited that trait. Um, oh, okay. I think she That's is. A good trait. Yeah. Are you left handed? <laughs> Y'all left handed? I'm not. No, no but I, I like art. Yeah. I'm, oh, I'm here for this. Well, get to his feet is the name of the game. So I am um, officially donning this episode, the title, Get to His Feet. I'm just letting you know that now. <laughs> um, I li- No, seriously, I like that. So I, I you know, I've just gotten into um, horseback trialing myself. My dog did. Uh-huh. He did all right the first time. Um and by all right, I mean we still got some some time to go. I think he's he's got. How old was he? Might I ask? Oh my God, he had just turned a year. Oh, yeah, he <laughs> super had, early. He, yeah, he he he. he Vegas great. is a year and like four or five months now. He's he's still a baby. 
Um, you know, now and and the Bennett, the, the good thing I will say, um, I worked off of his pace and he's broke through wing shot and kill. Um, I I I know that I felt like I did not rush him. I tried to go off of the signs that I was seeing, but where I fell short was horseback work. You follow me? So and and that's something that coming up this will be his derby season coming up in the fall. I know what I have to do going in going in. You know, um, but the idea that we're working with pointing breeds, I think get to his feet is is truly something that makes it 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 makes sense that when you explained it. Because when you when when you said it, I was like, okay, are we talking about the gate? Like, are we talking about getting a horse high step? Like, what are we what are we doing? That's everybody's reaction. He <laughs> says that on every whenever somebody comes to pick up a dog. Most most of the time, you know, a lot of uh, these these pointing trainers, their bread money is through obedience and uh, and and uh, having boarding. Right. Um, uh, when one of the things I love about John is whenever the people come to pick up the dog which was also one of my favorite parts because I was being so critiqued on my obedience. Um, at summer camp, we spent almost every evening while dinner cooked, having a drink and, and mainly him having the drink while I was walking around with the dog obedience thing and him critiquing. Yeah. Uh, so when I got to see a client, you know, who came from scratch, knows nothing about bird dogs or dogs, even in general, just that they love and have a dog that they want to be obedient. Um, getting to watch him with, he works with them, get to his feet is one of his go-tos every time that, that tries to help them uh, relay the dog's connections as far as reading them in general, that they, they couldn't do that prior. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and uh, I really, uh, I really was glad that I got to learn that from somebody because in the pointer world, you just don't see that. You just, uh, yeah people let their dogs they're so focused on run mm-hmm. that they they let their dogs be extremely wild right and i think that you have a wild dog that 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 will run right and and that they respect you in a different different manner that that i truly uh, admire from getting to learn from him right. that um i i hope to apply in the future and that i'm not just somebody who who talks something that has dogs that are obedient that produces mm-hmm. dogs that are obedient that also can work with dogs to be obedient um, uh, further uh, than than what most pointer people do just because, and I'm not knocking pointer people because I love pointer I'm a, people. I'm I love a pointer person pointer. and I subscribe to everything right. that you said. I subscribe it, to everything totally that you said. Yeah. Different aspect of learning than, than from these other pointing breeds. You know, right. people look down on these setters, whether they're English, Gordon, whatever. They look down on uh, loves, they look down on wire hairs, whatever the case may be. Um, but a good dog is a good dog, and it Absolutely. doesn't matter the breed. Uh, may it be a rarity to have a good, strong uh, setter that that runs comparable to a pointer? Yes, but but a uh, but a dog, a good dog is a good dog, and that's one of the main things he's taught me. Um, yeah. And I respected a good hunting dog because that's what I grew up on. Yeah. I wanted something that I could go and, and kill a bird over. And, uh, and that, that's just kind of where I, I rest on that. <laughs> so I, and I, like I said, Peyton, I 100% subscribe to everything that you're saying. And in my own efforts, you know, I've even tried to, uh, 
reel in, you know, my point because I, I've also known, like I have a lab. And I mean, I was a, a drill sergeant about obedience in that respect, right? Like, yeah. but with my pointer, I'm like, just go, just go, just go. But there has to be, you know, some semblance of, of obedience, right? Like you, you, and well, I, and the, it, the two you just gave me are polar opposites. Oh, One yeah. of the things that John, he compares mostly about with the, the lab is that they are, they're trying to set them up for failure rather than success. You know, they have a lot of pressure put on them with the collar and making them go do this and that versus developing and not training from a younger age uh, and and, and making that pressure there, you know? Right. But let me summarize what she's trying to say. And this, this may sound a little bit fluffy to you, but it's not. The more you can train with the most amount of positive reinforcement, if it's no more than just the bird, and minimize corrections. Okay. Okay. The happier and the more self-confident dog you create. Now, I'm not saying you never have a correction training dog. Now, what she what she meant by the Labrador world is if you know anything about the real labs, you know, and the real... Mm-hmm big time labs, they set up a lot of tests mm-hmm. that encourages the dog to fail. They set them up to fail for the following reason, to get a correction. Mm. Okay. I prefer to set dogs up to succeed. Yeah. So you minimize, not that it never happens, but you mi- minimize the necessity for corrections. John, you got to- breeds are a lot more finicky, um, especially with a lot of people that send dogs to John. They just send them wanting obedience and that they have a hunting dog, so they want their dogs to point a few birds. Mm-hmm. So we teach the dogs and their obedience to sit versus whoa. <laughs> yeah. Well, then when we go to pointing birds and we're putting a little bit of pressure on them to be, I mean, they don't have to be steady to wing and chop, but you know, for these people to be huntable over, um, they they wind up sitting from the pressure and, and, and all of these things that, that the pointing dogs, it, it just, it's a little bit more finicky than Labradors. Okay. Okay. I, um, I can agree with that. And y'all about to have me rewrite the last four years of my gun dog notebooks. <laughs> so. <laughs> we can make a part two, John. Information source that needs to be utilized. I live for it. And so. I, I mean, do I agree with everything? No. But I mean, shoot, I agree with 95% of it. I don't want to say that I don't agree or disagree with anything. I couldn't think of necessarily what I disagree with, but I, I just, the way he can help, uh, teach people, um, from such an educational, uh, uh, standpoint where, uh, you know, like a classroom setting, for instance, where you're set up to, to understand what's going on. He can, he can just help um, really grasp certain concepts uh, that, that will help you understand. But sometimes he doesn't make the connections between people and dogs. He's better with people. I mean, he's better with dogs and horses, absolutely. His, okay. his main problem is somewhat communicating with people on how to communicate with animals, though. Right. Not, not on um not on not on a a, a classroom basis. I, I don't even know if that made sense. Um, it does. As far as where 
It okay. does. So let me let me ask you this, and I and I want to get to the 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 real big stuff. And I, I know I, I'm I want to hold you too too long, but I do have a, a a few major questions I want. First and foremost, um, we never talked about you guys's background and and relationship, and I want you to see if you can kind of weave it in throughout this question. But my main question is. And, and Peyton, you alluded to it. You don't necessarily always agree with with John and, and some of the things, but he is still mentoring you. And I think that's a special thing going on. So let's talk about um, your experiences as a at, at getting to be a mentee. And then, John, when we get to you, let's talk about how you got to where you are. But then let's start, Peyton, with an example of something that maybe y'all might have been like either I told you so or the mentee Trump, the mentor. I've, I've wanted to hear this one. There's a good, there's a, there, there's some experiences. Uh, I'll have to think of an exact one as I'm, I'm talking about this and elaborating on it. As far as being a mentee, uh, especially for John, um, uh, one of the reasons I chose John was because I knew if I could work and succeed with John, that I would get respect in the bird dog world. Absolutely. He's that man, that means knows, a lot. Let's, let's, let's be real. It, that means a lot. Does. As a female, that means a lot because yes, there are a lot of females that are looked at as just trying to get their next boyfriend or whatever, you know, there you go. Um, I, I want to be just as good as the guys. And so I knew if I went to John, um, he, he was well-respected in all pointing breeds because of his history. And, and, um, and, uh, I, I just, <laughs> that, that's where I went. I mean, it's just kind of what happened. And, and I, uh, I went out for my first summer and I had no idea what I was getting into. I was definitely mm-hmm. in over my head, but, but that's what everybody kind of told me. And I knew that I was going to go and, and finish out and, and, and do what I needed to do because, I cared. Unlike a lot of people that have worked for John, if you care about the pointing dogs and the horses and truly learning the team aspect of all of that, um, you, you, you stick to it a lot harder. And, and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to get better myself at training dogs, period. Um, and I wanted my dogs. And then eventually I bought my first uh, trial horse from John to, be good I wanted to to be a true team and and John talked a lot about uh how how the team aspect really plays into field trialing in general um I'll let him elaborate on on something that I've I've quoted him for okay. in, a, in a prior magazine but but okay. he never got true credit for so, so right. you know what I'm talking about the five parts of the trial team so so elaborate on that well, we need you to get your credit any. now, so come on with it. Well, it, it doesn't have to it have anything necessarily to do with a mentor, but people, when I start telling people that come here and they want to learn how to more efficiently and effectively run their dog in a trial, okay? I said, well, how many people are in, in your team? Your team? Well, I got a dog. I got me, Okay. I say to them, well, there's five members of your team. Five? Hmm. You see the look on your face like, this guy, he, he's been out in the sauce or something. Something's wrong. Yeah. There's five members. There's you. There's your dog. There's your horse. 
There's your scout and his horse. Ah. Two horses, two horses, two people, one dog. Mm. And each of those participants for that run, that 30 minutes or hour or whatever you're up to, to, to succeed, have to know their role and be good at it. Yeah. The like, or it's just luck if you win. And winning is not luck. Right. Right. I, I, I firmly uh, believe that winning one person that I think that I look up to um, and I've, I've had the pleasure of meeting him once is Farrell Miller. He, to me, he is the example of winning is not luck. It takes hard work. It takes working more than 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 the next person, but also being prepared. Um, and I like, you know, just talking to him and, and some of the stories I've heard about him, you know, working at being prepared. That's one of the things. But the horse aspect, I've never heard anybody add the scout's horse in there. See, that's the other if component. He's, he's got a, if he's got a horse that he can't put where it needs to be to go get the dog or bring the dog back or mm-hmm. whatever the circumstances. He's, that's a weak link in the team. There you go. Um, I, I I will say that is something that is truly unique to your stance. I mean, and there's a lot of good trialers out there that I, that I like, but no no one has has spent time talking about the scout's horse. And now, mind you, I do a lot of African-American bird dog history, right? And we listen to guys talking about Man Rand. I'm sure you know that guy and Pet Kelly. You I don't know. know him, but I've never met him, but I know of him. You know of him, right. I they, know of them. Yes, they, they had to have good horses. And there's this wonderful picture that I have. Um, and it is um, a, a dude's name is the, the scout's name is John Philpot, black dude. And he's got he's on this 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 horse and he's standing on the horse barefoot. And he's got his hat in the air and he's signaling to the handler. On, on yeah. Yep. You know that photo. Think, yeah. I've seen that. When I tell you, I love that photo for everything that you're saying about it, because to me, what that represents is that is 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 what you're saying. That horse being, you know, in control, he, he, he being able to place him where he needs to be, and if you can stand on the back of that horse barefoot. And he remained just as calm and collected. And and John was probably John Philpot was probably hooping and hollering and trying to get that 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 handler over there. That's right. You're right. You know. So that's that's my point about the, about about a team. It's a team. When I see these people all the time, they come to the trial, and they borrow somebody's horse. Mm-hmm. They're not a good horseman to begin with. They're with an unfamiliar horse. Mm-hmm. They don't have a scout. They find around some guy that doesn't know any more about scouting than I do about fixing a Mercedes Benz. Yeah. And and he, and he he's a good guy and he's trying to help them, but he's not competent. Yeah. And they wonder why they're not successful. Yeah. Well, John, and I'm, and I'm, I'm going to be real with you. That was my first experience trialing a dog. Yeah. I mean, that was my first experience. And, and, and the, what the thing That's that saved right the, 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 the thing that saved me was the fact that I actually, did have a good scout. It was Lane Hodges and Darcy Hodges. They're, they're great folks. Very, very good people. When very I tell good. you, they were the ones that saved my ass. Mm-hmm. They were the ones that said, hey, man, like, 
I saw your dog go that way. He's on point, blah, 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 blah. Next thing you know, boom. And I was, you know, I, I was the horse that I was riding. I rode him before everything. I thought everything was fine. But then when it came to my, my heat horse was tired, you know, and he, and, and the horse didn't know me. I didn't know the horse, like everything that you just described. That was my first experience. The uh-huh. dogs got broke fines. But, you know, but how it, can you even handle if you don't, if you're thinking about all these other there aspects you go. There you go. and, and, and you're already nervous about trialing? Exactly. <laughs> and and you don't think the dog doesn't know that? Oh, absolutely not. They, they know. They know 100%. They sense. That's why they know when you, when you pull out a gun or you put your chaps on, they sense your energy, period. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So let, let's, let's also get into this, um, John. Let's talk about your Hall of Fame dog. So it, I, I, sometimes I would like to think I'm a genius, but I'm not. Udabar is just Rabidou, <laughs> Rabidou spelled backwards. I, I didn't realize that until way later. But Udabar is Kunas and, um, and Boss Man. Let's, let's talk about those and let's talk about how you, the, the matriculation to get into the Hall of Fame. Well, you know, uh, Boss Man was a, my second German short ear pointer, and which is way back. I mean, he was born, I think, in 1969 or 70. Okay. And I, I happened to be living in Wisconsin at that time. I, I'd gone to school there and lived there and got to know a guy that was a prominent trainer up there at that point in time, but Don Tomac, who's dead now, of course. And he had a dog called Windy Hill Prince James that was one of the up-and-coming charging short hairs. And he kind of was a, uh, at a crossroad when short hairs were going from the big old lopey dog to one that got around. I mean, mm. really, really got around. Okay. Well, anyway, just it was Boss Man's mother was a son of this Prince James, a daughter, excuse me. And uh, I convinced him to breed that bitch who was, turned out to be a national shooting dog champion to a, a dog back in the east, way back in the east, New York. I think it's from New York called Tip Top Timmy. And uh, anyway, they bred the dog, and uh, I got this pup. And uh, I, I knew very little about dogs. It was my second short hair. And he just turned out to be one of these dogs that gelled and mostly on his own, which way I learned a lot about development as opposed to trying to train him. There you go. And uh, had I known more at that point in my life and been more affluent to travel more, that dog would have been a, a bigger name. But anyway, I, I won with him quite a bit. And uh, and and the the best part of it, of course, to me is not can he can he can he only win, but can he re- reproduce himself? Yeah. Meaning, is he prepotent? There you go. And it turns out that I was blessed that he was able to reproduce dogs. Uh, I don't know if they were as good as he was somewhere, somewhere, but they were, they were, they were, you know, the genetic drift there was not towards me. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. genetic drift. Well, he brought his, his progeny. Most of them were above the me. Right. And so that's, that's where that all came started with him and, and other dogs, uh, you know, that came on. I just, uh, uh, I've, I was, I've been blessed with some dogs that were, you know, it just, it just, 
God or whatever. It's just the way it worked. It, uh, these dogs came my way. And, uh, you know, the most recent addition to all that is a dog you probably will never hear about, but doesn't belong to me. It belongs to Mike Aldridge. It's a dog called Dress Blues. Okay. Dress Blues are, you know, if you've ever been in the military. But anyway. Uh, was, I haven't been in the military, no. Well, that dress blues are the Marine uniform of the dress uniform of the Marines. That's called the dress blues. Okay. And the guy that owned them was a Marine Lieutenant Colonel. Anyway, but this dog has qualities that most dogs don't. And he, he broke down on us later in life, early in life. And his, his pasterns, his, you know what pasterns are? Oh, uh, sir. The, the joint between your ankle and your foot on a horse that's called a pastern. And, and it, anyway, okay. it, it broke, it, he broke down in front and he couldn't, couldn't really run anymore, but he, he had a nose and a, and a, a desire and ability to find birds. I'm, I'm not talking about Mickey Mouse upside down birds. I mean, real birds, wild birds. Right. <laughs> unlike almost any other dog I've ever seen. I mean, he just goes through the country and throw his head up. And just go to them and stand off of them 20, 30, 40, 50 feet. Just stand there, rock back. And and he, but better than anything else. And he was a runner-up national champion twice. Yeah. But better than that is his progeny have those characteristics. That long nose mm-hmm. and that ability to scent and get game pointed. And, and doing it in a way with stylish style and on point intensity, and other characters, trainability. And, and so, you know, I'm trying to point out to you that through this whole history of my, my, my travels, and, uh, I, I've been blessed to have dogs that, you know, that were, that were that kind of dog and, uh, you know, like, uh, Shoot the moon, you know. I don't know you, you maybe haven't heard of Shoot the Moon. He's, he's dead. Okay. And, and uh, he's probably going in the Hall of Fame this year. And uh, he's a, a top producing dog, and he produced a lot of dogs that had qualities that were just above the average, considerably okay. above the average. Okay. And, and that, that dog was a fluke, you know. His father was conceived. Yeah, his his father was no, he was conceived underneath a horse trailer, literally underneath a horse trailer. What? In an, in an auction barn in West Texas, which is a place south of Dallas. God. Okay. And by accident, totally by accident. No, it was not a planned affair. And you know, I was going to knock him in the head, but the girl that owned him said, "No, no." Anyway, that's where this dog came from. Yeah. I mean, it was a fluke. See, so it should have never happened, but. I mean, by my, but it should have happened. Right. And so, and that's how that dog, and, and, and I, I kept this puppy and blah, blah, blah. And so the circum, you see, you talked about Farrell Miller. And I've met Farrell Miller one time, and I only know him indirectly because I know a lot of people that know him. Right. Okay. Through, mostly through the horse world. Right. And Farrell Miller is a very eccentric person in many ways. Uh huh but a genius in many other ways. Okay. A genius and a workaholic. Nobody, they tell me he's in his nineties, you know, now yeah. he's still working. He still is work, he's still working dogs. Right. Nineties. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
You know how the, the dog that won the national last year? Three weeks before that national, this guy was having trouble with him. I can't think of the guy that runs the dog, okay? Uh-huh. He sent the dog to Farrell. Three days later, he said, come get the dog, boy. He's right. <laughs> and he won the national. We're talking about for speed the dial. Time. Yeah, speed dial. For the second time. Yeah, speed dial. Mm-hmm. And so th- my point is that Farrell Miller – you know, and and he, you know, and he's in trouble with the law because he does a lot. I don't mean the law; I mean the dog law. The dog American law, yeah. And all, you know, that. And but, the, but the fact is that anybody that doesn't recognize what a genius he is with mm-hmm. dogs, mm-hmm. it just is 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 blind. And mm-hmm. and so the, the, I've had I've been blessed to, to divert your question a little, not only because. I, I was friends with a lot of other trainers that took me under their wing. They, for some reason, they liked me and, and, and gave to me opportunities to learn that many don't have. Yeah. It's just the most notable, which is a guy by the name of Dave McGinnis, who is in the Hall of Fame and who de- died early in life from cancer. But Dave McGinnis was a guy sort, in some ways like Farrell Miller could get more out of less mm-hmm. as far as dogs than anybody I was ever around. I trained with him a lot and I see this dog and he's working this dog. And I think to myself, what is he doing with this dog? This dog isn't going to win because he was trying to win at the highest level. Yeah. And I'll sure enough, all of a sudden, pretty soon, this dog was a national champion. <laughs> and I think to myself, what did I miss? Yeah. What I missed is the genius of Dave McGinnis. And, and anyway, <laughs> this, is what I, this is what I tell her. And this is not money. This is not about. Money. This is not money. <laughs> but but we we missed that that money. <laughs> but, but if you want to put some money in my hand, it's okay. But this is about time. And the people I'm mentioning, you know, call it whatever you want. You call it genius. Call it intuition, ingenuity. I mean, you can think. I can think of fifty other words. Mm-hmm. But it's right here. Yeah, they had a touch and an understanding of dogs, and dog behavior, and how to change, it, modify it to human expectations. Okay, they read dogs easier than your natural person. Yeah, let me let me let me let me throw you an oddball question real quick. Um, and I'm gonna preface this about kind of where I get this. I I hope I'm not taking too much of y'all's time, but I got an oddball question. Um, all right. So I do a lot of reading and research and writing on black dog handlers. And we've mentioned them a few times in this episode already. All right. And and you seem to understand kind of the history that we, we understand both histories. What do, do you think that considering the circumstances that black handlers in the South were presented? And, and by that, let me be specific. We were slaves. At the end of the day, we were slaves. All right. Yeah. Being a dog man was more or less skilled labor. It was a step above working on working in the field. Okay. And if you knew that, you knew that I need to be damn good. <laughs> so I don't got to go back to the field. All right. Exactly. <laughs> let me, let me, let me. And, and so do you think that that was something that made 
some of the black handlers and some of them never got credit. Some of them we, we we've seen here and there, but do you think they had that, that touch that you're talking about that they, they figured out and they spent the time to read based on the conditions that they were presented? I, I would think yes. Okay. I would think so. All right. Now it, I, I would guess this, uh, this is probably get a little far afield as a black person. And you particularly say, we're talking about the black slave who's been, taught and treated like, pardon my French, just like shit yeah. for, since before he was born, okay? And so he learned to be pretty flexible. Mm-hmm. That's a, kind of a choice word, but it, it's not, <laughs> I can't think of the word I want. No, yeah. you it's see things to definitely try, on the- To try to read situations to avoid trouble. Absolutely. Okay? As, as being, if he got in trouble, you know, he was going to be in real trouble. Right. And it probably sensitized him to be more understanding and acceptance of a dog that was less than perfect, but how to get that dog to be more perfect. Does that make sense to you? Mm-hmm. Or am I eating around a book? No, that, that, that there's makes sense. There's a book I'm reading right now called Wild Birds. Okay. Can you send it to me, a, fic, a photo of it? Uh, yeah, and I it, can. It's okay. written by a guy. Uh, it, it's about the the South, Georgia, yeah. where you live. Yeah. In 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 the piney woods, when they really had piney woods before they had these friggin' loblollies. Right. Okay. Man, just, <laughs> let, let's be specific. I'm glad you said that because we 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 don't have true pines anymore down here. But anyway, his name is Fred. I believe it was Fred Hinton, mm-hmm. and he was black. He was a black guy. And he worked for these guys, and he became the lead dog trainer and whatever. And they talk in this book about hunting with Fred. I believe it was Fred, but I can look it up for you. Okay. I have the book. Anyway, and anyway, the point is, apparently this man w- was a bit of a genius with with dogs. And uh, and he was also, you know, he worked farming for him and did all, did all these other things he had to do. But when it came time to the dog, old Fred was out there with the pointers working them and running them and they did hunts, you know, and he was the lead dog man. Okay. And, and and it was, he was, I think it's an interesting illustration of how this black man got his niche and they set him up with a home and took care of his kids. I mean, he was well respected in the sense that they realized how capable he was Mm -hmm. and they didn't want to lose him. Yeah. That's what I got out of it. They didn't say that. That's but that, what they said. That's what it is. Hang on one second. Let me turn the light on in here. Hang on one second. Hang on. Nope. Yeah. Okay. So I um and, and I'm gonna get back to the questions, but you, you got me excited in that and just thinking there's a guy um that I'm reading about. I actually have his transcript. His name was Charlie Young. And he was here. He's a black dog trainer. Never, no one, no one had ever heard this story, but it's been documented. And it's at the, um, it's, it's down in Thomasville, but I have it basically. And I'm reading through it. And he says the same thing that there, there are certain, there were certain, you know, folks in our culture that they saw an opportunity to train with dogs and they hop right on it. And because it was such a good thing, they became very, very, very valued and very skilled. You know, when I think about um, man ran right and, and his influence on 
you know, the great dogs and the trials and things. I mean, it, even reading about him in Jack Harper's book, I mean, he was a very celebrated individual because of mm-hmm. his value. But I say that to, I, I, I wanted to ask you that just because, you know, you would have been around trialing, you know, when those of us, us black scouts that would have been prominent, you know, were doing that. Um, but my, my, one of my last comments, cause I know we have, we have, you know, really, we've gone into more depth than I thought we were going to do even with my questions. And it's great. So let me, let me ask you this. Um, I got two last questions for you. All right. Number one, you know, why did you relocate from, from Wisconsin to Texas and, and how did that change your training? What did that do for you? There were two reasons I left. I, w- I stayed, I went to Wisconsin and go to graduate school, which I did. Okay. And I got out and I stayed there 16 years. But two reasons I left. One is the winter before I left, I had a frost free hydrant go in the barn and it was, the pipe was six foot down on the ground. Six foot down and it froze. Wow. I, I had to dig this thing up with a pickle. I said, this is the craziest place to live in the world. Okay. <laughs> but I didn't. Then one day, I, I, my wife was at work and, and I had a long driveway. You see it coming a long ways. And I see a car coming down a driveway real slow. And as it gets closer and closer, I see it's a police car. You don't see police cars where I did. Mm-hmm. So uh, a police car drives up. He stops. And I'm just standing there. And, it, and a deputy sheriff gets out. He says to me, Mr. Rabidou, is this you, John Rabidou? Yes, sir. I'm sure sorry about this, he says. I said, sir? He hands me an envelope, big envelope, right? Here, sign here. That's a sign, right? It's a divorce decree. Oh. So <laughs> oh. I, was, I was a little pissed off about a lot of things besides just the, the water freezing. Right. And I picked up and moved to Texas. I took a, a horse trailer, a truck and a horse trailer, one horse and one dog, which was boss man, and some clothes, and I left. And this got that's on it. out of there. Okay. That's it. That's, that's it. Not not very rational, but that's what happened. No, that's that's it. You know, I, I was expecting some 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 super wild, you know. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so, you know, Peyton And that was forty years ago. Okay. 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 So, you know, Peyton, let's 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 get into you a little bit before we we wrap it on up and i got one overarching question we need you 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 told me you wanted to have you know john on here and i didn't know what i was walking into this is great i mean john i i can't appreciate you now i knew you would enjoy it that's why i said i would only do it if he could be my my co-star oh my god all right so (laughs) you you both have just blown my mind seriously um seriously and I, i can't think you know but peyton you know, what are my buddy Joe Plody was the one that introduced me to your profile. And he was like, hey, man, like, you got to go see this girl. Like, she is really rocking out. You know, she's really rocking out. And um, and I was like, OK, cool. And so I, I did my research. Peyton, like. Let's talk about these puppies that you got and, and let's talk about your plans, you know, as an upcoming trainer. You know, let's let's give me some of your background. Give me some of not background, but like what's going on in, in, in Peyton Gunby's world right now as a mentee 
with a whole bunch of new pups and where are we going from there? Oh Lord. <laughs> my next step, I never know my next step at this point. Um, <laughs> but as far as the puppies, I mean, uh, I just posted a video today where, when John was talking about, uh, how he plays music and, and whatnot for the puppies when they first open their eyes and their ears are really getting open. You look in this video that these puppies, their eyes are still, uh, a black, you know, they, 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 they're open, but they don't, they're not really seeing much. I mean, they might see light, you know, this or that, but these puppies, they, uh, like, like this morning when I took that video that I posted at a certain point, you watch me and they're hearing me and then they know who mama is. And they all just look up at me. You know, they, they, they've already associated me with so many good things. And, and, uh, and now they, they already are associating me just in general, um, as far as hearing my voice and it being a positive thing. They look up. I mean, cause uh, Krista, my coworker, she comes and helps me bottle feed them and, we've knocked over the fan or this or that in the last couple of days. And, and they hear that hitting the ground and it might be a little jumpy, but they've heard so many noises prior. And then they, they, they've heard my voice and, and, um, and whatnot. I, uh, I knew the mother and father as little puppies. And, and for me, I, uh, I want them to, to do exactly what John and Susan have, have, have done. You know, they've, created a a bloodline that is not just something that every Joe Blow is going to come through the door and say, I want this, this hunting dog, you know, right. I mean, they, Susan has turned people down that have come to interact with puppies and that have done things so negatively that she was like, I, I don't see one of my puppies being suited for you. Okay. And, and just turn them down. You know, right. people think, oh, I'm going to go here and buy you to bar dogs. Well, I want that same uh, accreditation as far as, you know, they don't advertise uh, their word of mouth. People know that they produce good dogs and that the dogs that they are receiving have already been socialized so well. They always are getting comments from people. Oh, your dog will already come to me. Oh, your dog, you know, he's super happy or she's super happy about this, blah, blah, blah. You know, uh, for your average person that has never seen a puppy truly socialized properly like these puppies have been um uh to them it's just some amazing great thing and you're like this is this is just kind of how it's supposed to be you know um and uh and and that's what i want in this litter john does several things different you know you mentioned earlier wing on a string i'd always seen wing on a string as a pointer person prior but one of the things john does that i really uh like that i've watched through several litters of his develop um at one of the beginning stages, uh, as soon as the puppies hit dirt, he will put uh, one or two quail in a metal cage and just set it in the puppies, the, their, their little kennel area, mm-hmm. uh, which is, happens to be a dirt area with a little fence and, you know, they've got a little dog house. Uh, and then he also puts, you know, a little bit of uh, uh, like a, a horse feed bucket, a portable horse feed bucket, you know, one of those little black tubs. Yeah. He'll fill that little thing up with water so they can get in and out of water if it's hot right now or, or whatever the case may be. They're introduced to water. They have toys. They, they're getting to smell these birds. And the first time you set these birds down in with, with a litter of puppies, you're already able to read so many things. Who is the alpha? Mm-hmm. Who is more interested? Who's more spooky? 
Um, you, you see all these different things. That wing on a string is great. You'll see the point in puppies, but you're not really seeing all the true characteristics that they can display and the finickiness through the breaking process that that they may present. Um, okay, it, it's a it's an interesting viewpoint to see through the dogs and and uh, and it progresses further. You know, uh, as they get older, they start to get turned loose just around the, the place. Um, I really like the way John's place is set up for puppies. Uh, people I've worked for even after John or, or intermittently, they, they are so worried about their puppies being run over or this or that. The way their property is set up, they're too close to a main road. Um, they, they might have uh, issues with, with, with all this traffic coming in and out of their place because people are planning or, or whatever the case may be. Um, however, with theirs, the way it's set up where their bird pen is, which to me, for whatever reason, I literally do not even know why. As a pointer person, why would you want your pointer puppies going up and messing with your bird houses and your Johnny houses? You know, but for him, that that when you watch these puppies, it's such a good thing for them to learn. They they become more courageous. They they become more bonded to you because they trust. Oh, I followed them over here, and I like the way this smells, and I'm already naturally pointing and. And then they go around and they follow you to feed the horses. So they're already seeing horses and, and, and the horses, they're not, you know, in the way to where they're going to get, most people are always so worried. Oh, my puppies are going to get messed up, this or that. Right. You know, um, I've learned a lot of flexibility with, with that aspect as far as the puppies go and their socialization right. from John, just because, um, you know, you, you hear of all this socialization, wing on a string, taking them on walks. Uh, yada 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 but there's a lot of other different things that you can do that are out of the stereo type of pointer people that will help uh, your pointing dog uh, along the line in general right okay okay I think that's beautiful um damn y'all about to really make me reconsider everything I've been doing um all right. So this is my last question. And I and I and I would love if you either of you are as candid as possible. And I want to end on this note. Um, and I'm going to be honest. All right. I'm a pointer guy. I love pointers. Um, I have but a handful of friends that really, I would say, are good representatives of the short hair breed. And I think there's a lot of things done wrong to the short hair breed. All right. And, and, and maybe you disagree. I think a lot of them are, are mass produced. I do. I think they're very easy. They're, they're convenient dogs to have. And I see a lot of people getting them and not maximizing their potential. So, John, if you agree with that, where where did we go wrong with the short hair breed starting from your beginnings? Very simple. They're too popular. Just like Lab, they're too popular, and so everybody, every every swinging dick in the backyard has got Fritz out there, and he thinks he's a great dog, and his buddy down the street's got Mary Jane. Well, let's make some puppies. We'll make some money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with Labs, just what Peyton just said. Absolutely. But labs, you know, why do why Labs have all these hip problems, this uh, shoulder problems, eye problems, all these congenital, congenital problems? Too many of them being bred or not worthy of being bred. They're not breeding caliber dogs. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I've seen it. And some of the short hairs I've seen out here, I mean, 
The best I can give them is a preserved dog. Well, with, with a lot of these short hairs, um, there are some real dogs. I will say that much. I love my pointers, but with these short hairs, I've enjoyed seeing some true, yeah. true short hairs. And, and one question that I, I guarantee you, you cannot answer is, what, what is the standard length of a short hair tail, a trial short hair, in your opinion? <laughs> let me take it. Let me take a stab. I'm not, I not. I feel like I'm going to be wrong, but is it two thirds? We, we cut our tails at right in the middle. Right in the middle. Okay. Whenever they're probably two or three days, they do their dew claws and they'll take the tail about halfway, which have, which what would end up being about six inches, seven inches. Mm, yeah. Five to, five to six inches. Okay. Depending, yeah. And, and again, that shows my ignorance. I'm, I knew I was going to be wrong. I just felt like taking a stab I never it. knew that until I worked for him, though. So, I mean, that's, yeah. that's not even ignorance. It's just what you're raised up on and, and what you're used to, you know? I mean, do you want to broaden your horizons? Absolutely. Right. But, but you just, you never know any better. And you're just taught to kind of turn your nose up at these little short hairs with stubs and and that are backyard bred. But if you find truly somebody uh, that's good, you know, people that come to Georgia are Rich Barber, Dan DeMambro. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, they have nicely bred dogs. They care about their dogs. Uh, Walker. You know, Walker, Walker's in Georgia. He's located Ray in Georgia. Dose. Ray Dosey. They, they all have very well-bred short hairs that have also been successful. That, not, that, not can, a, that can win in anybody's game. Yeah. And we're talking about winning um, in the American field. American, you know, all yeah. breed we're talking yeah. about here. Uh, and I would absolutely agree to that 100%. You know, people, uh, especially in the pointer world, just, you know, you go through the American field and then you have the AKC announcements, you're just flipping through. Who yep. cares? You know, yep. kind of deal. And I, I was guilty of that. And, and I mean, do I really even truly read American field like I should? Probably not, you know, and I'm not disowning that because I'm an American field member, whatever. But all I'm saying is, is, uh, uh, just people from, from if you're coming in from the pointer perspective and you're mm-hmm. trying to learn, you kind of already learned these learned habits of mm-hmm. not necessarily liking certain breeds or, or characteristics of breeds. And, and really, if you're a dog person and a pointing dog person, you learn to appreciate all these aspects of breeds and, and truly getting to see top of, of these breeds being bred and, 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 presented and trialed you know that's that's what trials are for is to present the best bestly bred uh dogs that you can and 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 keep producing that you know now i people forget that (laughs) look i i will be the first to tell you i i i I like talking trash but y'all might have stopped me from talking trash about 10 episodes about some short hairs now so (laughs) (laughs) y'all y'all really just just put me on to something um and and like i said i admittedly it's really simple simple, you know a good dog is a good dog yeah and if he's a long tail a short tail a red coat a black coat a green coat whatever hell coat he's got he's either he's a good dog or he's just another dog right the mini mini you know you know you know what a bell curve is right yes sir absolutely yeah and there's only how many in the top end of it how what's the percentage out there it's super three, small three percent yeah three percent three percent yeah okay so in a normal distribution of any species of any trait only three percent out here three percent yeah and that's what that's the one dog you want that top three percent, mm-hmm. or at least strive for it. 
Yeah. And it doesn't matter what kind of a tail he's got or what color he is or all this other stuff. He's a good girl. He's a good dog. I mean, the breed probably in this country that's made the most progress in the last 30 years is Vichlas. Yeah. If you think there are some good Vichlas around, you're a silly boy. My, my, look, my I buddy. My, now, look, y'all, my buddy Lauren uh, Gwen, she's Palmetto Moon Pointers on Instagram. Y'all will like her. Then that's a wild bird dog there. So I will second that with you. Vishla's, yes. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to give her. I ain't going to ever tell her that. You know, I'm going to wait for Darcy to, has some good Vishla's, too. I'll just throw that out there, so, too, so, for Darcy and Lane. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Darcy and Lane, yeah. They good folks. I love them. Yep. But I'm actually, you know, they're down here in Griffin. I'm supposed to be going to work with them um, pretty soon. Well, my point is a good dog is a good dog, and there's damn few of them. Yeah. No matter what breed you got. Yeah. Yeah. It's only 3% out here. <laughs> <laughs> so, have, look, happy, happy searching, happy hunting. <laughs> <laughs> Well, guys, I know I have taken y'all 30, 36 minutes over, you know, what I said it was going to be, but I, I had to get in those good comments and I feel like we could have extended that another three, four hours. Um, So look, tell the listeners where to find you, how to find you and, and leave us with something good. You know, Peyton, you know, I, I reached out to you and I'm going to be bugging you, of course, but, but John <laughs> Peyton, leave us with something good and how to find y'all. Uh, the best way to find John is through me. I will find a way to get to him if you actually care and are not a tire kicker. There you um, go. <laughs> you can just, uh, we have a website. And yeah, Udabar has which, a website. Which isn't, which isn't uh, very current because we really don't have a webmaster. We need one. But anyway. Like I said, but, they, they but, don't truly <laughs> advertise. People know of him, <laughs> know of their dogs, know what they produce. Even just obedience-wise, not even trial-wise, uh, they, they know. They don't have to. And I appreciate that. That's a lot of why you might see my pointers on social media, but I am not trying to throw them in anybody's face because yeah. you know what? They, they will they, A breed will be proven over time, and John's bloodlines uh, with his short hairs have been proven. Um, and I can appreciate that just, just being uh, – wanting to be a, a, a breeder that cares and, and that produces quality dogs in the future. Um, that's one of the most admirable traits that I've gotten to learn from, from John and Susan and the way they've raised their puppies. I, uh, I've appreciated that and, and all the mentorship, even though it, it is not easy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it ain't supposed to be easy. How about that? No, it's not. Like, if it was easy, everybody be doing it. Yeah. Exactly. Everybody would be doing it and I've appreciated it more than, than anything. So, yeah. I mean, uh, and I'm glad that he joined in on this podcast. <laughs> I'm, look, I'm glad too. I didn't, I, like I said, I didn't, I had no idea the amount of just gems that you, you guys both, but John, like how many gems that you would drop on this episode? I mean, seriously, thank you. Thank you. He thank will you, do thank that you. anytime. He, there are no secrets with John. His seminars, that's what I've always appreciated about his seminars and the way he's dealt with people. There are no secrets. He is not going to hide something from you. He will show you how he does this and that with a dog um, and, and try to relay it to you to where you can work it and make it your own. And, and, and I've always appreciated that. Just uh, once I went out on my own and had to work my own dog. <laughs> yeah. I really appreciated that uh, 
even though there were nights that it made me cry how yeah. hard he was on me. Um, yeah. The dogs and, and everything, just the, the aspect that I got to learn, I feel like I was sent here to learn um, because I am a pointer person and there are a lot of aspects that I learned of that, but yeah. that I wanted to learn of bird dogs and dogs and to really help people be relatable with their dogs and understand the dogs that they love, even if they were some backyard bred, whatever dog they have whatever dog they love is to be able to truly connect them with that dog and, and give them a better life and quality of life for the dog and person. I've really gotten to learn that through John and, and that's been uh, monumental. Awesome. Man. He probably thinks I'm blowing smoke up his butt. But. <laughs> <laughs> Look, don't, don't be surprised. You're going to have to get out there tomorrow and work a little harder. He's going to push you harder now. <laughs> Trust me, I will. I'll let y'all know this week. <laughs> well, man, I I just I appreciate it, and I thank you guys. Um, you know, and 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 you know, for the listeners, you know, I'm gonna wrap it up here, guys. That's another episode of the Gun Dog Notebook Podcast with John Rabidou and Peyton Gunby. Um, and you know, y'all hang tight for a second, but. I'm excited to be here, so I'm going to end it right there. <laughs> All right, guys, that's another episode of the Gundog Notebook podcast with Peyton Gundy and John Rabidou. Um you know, stay with me. Hang in there. Hang, hang out with me. Keep listening. I appreciate all the support. Um, and thanks to my sponsors, Onyx Hunt, Yukonuba Sporting Dog, my affiliates, Lion Country Supply, and Garmin. Um, so look forward to more, guys. I'll catch y'all next week.